Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. I don't know about you, but I've been really getting excited about the human spirit. I've been really thrilled about the operation of the recreated human spirit. The ability we have, the potential that we have, unlimited ability that we have. All the possibilities that Jesus referred to when he said all things are possible to him that believeth are in direct connection with the new recreated human spirit that he was going to give us when he was raised from the dead. That's why he said all things are possible to him that's a believing one. Because you're hooked up with deity. And your spirit, your recreated human spirit, has got God living within it. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Our Father, we give thanks to you for your word. I thank you for receptive hearts, attentive ears, and open minds. We channel our minds to receive the word of the living God. We thank you, dear Father God, that by your Spirit you will enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, and ability, and wisdom in all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you will change us from glory to glory into the image of the glory of the Lord by the Spirit of our God. In Jesus' name we thank you that we're doers of the Word and not hearers only. Amen. And amen. God has not given us the spirit of fear. The what? Spirit of fear. Fear is a spiritual force. As I said to you when I started this, if you want to call it a series, that I wasn't going to take it in any kind of sequence. Just as I was led in my spirit by the Holy Spirit to talk about certain things, we were going to do it and bring them up. And the last three days, this thing about fear just rose up big within me. And I just couldn't help but to just study in this area of, of fear. Because fear is a spiritual force. Now, we've been in... Inferring that man is a threefold being, spirit, soul, and body. We've talked about the, the fact uh, that the spirit contacts the spirit world, the soul contacts the soul, mental world, and the, and the body contacts the physical world. No one will question you when you say that in the physical realm there are diseases that can attach themselves to the physical body. No one would question you when you say that there are mental diseases. We know that. There are diseases of the mind, mental disorders. We understand that. But it seems like when we get into the realm of the Spirit, everybody's lost. We have one group that's right now emphasizing that the human spirit cannot be affected in any way, shape, form, or fashion because it's the holies of holies and God lives in it. That's true. But you've got to understand that there are diseases of the Spirit. There are spiritual diseases. If there were not spiritual diseases, Jesus would not have said, guard your heart with all diligence. He would not have said, protect your spirit and preserve it from loss, harm, or injury by keeping your eye on it if there were not spiritual diseases. There are physical diseases, there are mental diseases, and there are spiritual diseases. Satan's number one way, way of attack upon the life of the believer, and I believe this is prevalent in the United States of America because we've got so much light of God's Word, is to very subtly deceive the individual in his human spirit until the human spirit begins to actually produce or reflect wrong things, such as the wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and devilish. 
to cause the course of nature to take hold in our makeup in our system until we're destroyed. There's a, there's a lot of people that just won't believe that because they say that the human spirit, as I said, is the holies of holies. And there can't be anything wrong with that. But we've got to realize that although we have a new recreated human spirit, we're a free moral agent. And if I can teach my spirit faith, the devil can teach it fear. If I allow it. And fear is a disease of the recreated human spirit. It's a spiritual disease that attempts to affect the recreated human spirit. It's one of those things he told us to guard our spirit from. So fear is not a mental something. It is not a physical something. But fear is a spiritual something. And Jesus, well, the word here by the Holy Ghost, says God didn't give you that spirit of fear, but he gave you the spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. Now, Webster says that fear is an emotional reaction caused by the anticipation or awareness of danger. See, emotional reaction. I have to disagree with Mr. Webster again. It may affect your emotions, but it's not an emotional thing. It is a spiritual something. You never saw anybody, when they were frightened, grab their heads. But if they were frightened, they went... They grabbed their heart. It's a spiritual force. It's not a mental force. It will affect the emotions. Notice it is a reaction. And this is a good golden nugget you could write down. For every action, there is a reaction. For every action, there is a reaction. And when fear is the action, then the reaction should be Faith. Now, I'm going to share that with you if you'll turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Look at verse 40. Fear has action, but you and I are to guard our spirits from this force called fear. And to protect our hearts from this force of fear. We are not to react to fear. Sometimes I think when it comes to resisting the devil, if we could see him, people would say, there he is, let's resist him. But the forces that emanate from this person, one of those forces we know, one of the force, forces that emanate from demonic influence is the force of fear. When we resist fear, we resist the devil. When we resist doubt, we resist the devil. Because these are the forces that emanate from his person. If faith is a product of God, fear is a product of the devil. Faith is designed to work for us and create realities in our lives that are positive Fear is designed by the devil to work against us and create disasters in our lives if we allow that force to operate. Now, it depends on how we react, whether or not we'll protect our human spirit from the force of fear and feed it with faith. Now, in the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel, verse, well, let's read from verse 35. Jesus, after he expounded all things to his disciples concerning the ministry of the word, it says, And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent the mul- away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. 
And there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Why are you so full of fear or dread? And how is it that you have no faith? What I want you to see here, there is a, an action taking place. Circumstances, as Webster said, anticipation or awareness of danger. Now, you visualize yourself being out there on that sea in a boat. Storms, winds, waves beating against the boat until finally the boat is getting filled up with water and they're about to be drowned in the sea. And Jesus has the audacity to say, why are you so fearful? Why are you afraid? I mean, it's obvious why they were fearful and it's obvious why they were afraid. The reaction, reaction. See, the action caused the reaction. And the, the disciples reacted as any natural human being would in the midst of that, those circumstances. They're about to be lost at sea. They're about to go down. These were probably master sailors. They knew the sea. They were fishermen. They understood how to control a boat in, even in the, in, in the worst of storms. But this was evidently a bad one. And they were about to drown. They were going under. They, they knew it. That's why at last resort they called for the Lord. We can't handle it. They won't let him rest, but we can't handle it. It's getting too bad now. Master, carest thou not that we're perishing? Jesus rebuked them for that reaction. Now think about it. He rebuked them for their reacting to that other action in a way of fear. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? But now notice the reaction of the Lord Jesus. Both had opportunity to react to the circumstances. Jesus, out of sleep. I often wondered if the boat was being filled up with water, where's he lying at back there? Not getting wet or whatever. He was a pretty good sleeper, I'll tell you. But there he was asleep. And finally they came down and started to shake him and said, Now, Master, we're going under and this is it. Now imagine if you just got, you know, woke, someone woke you up that early in the morning or whatever time it was. And the report was that you're going to drown, you're going under, or the boat's being filled up with water. Imagine. They were out there and wide awake and look at their reaction. But now Jesus just wakes up and very calmly says, peace, be still. That's not a normal reaction. That reaction is not normal. There's something about that man we need to know. There's something about the spirit of that man that we need to possess. And it's called faith. Jesus was highly developed in faith to such a degree that even in the midst of circumstances such as those, he did not react at the slightest moment in fear. He said, peace, be still. That's being highly developed. When one can react in circumstances in faith without any actions of fear and do it in the midst of those circumstances, you better believe that that person is developing his human spirit in faith. 
Now, that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, I don't know about you, but that tells me something. That tells me that Jesus and the Father, and Jesus being the representative of the Father, demand faith. If he could demand faith of people that are in that kind of a circumstance, what if Jesus was not on the ship? They would have perished. There's no two ways about it. There's a lot of people that have come short of what God's program was for their lives because they were full of fear. And they checked out a little bit early because they didn't develop their faith. But you see, God wants us to develop our faith. He doesn't want us to be full of fear. But if fear is a natural reaction to adverse circumstances, if it's a natural reaction to danger, how can we as believers, through our recreated human spirit, rid ourselves of all this fear and be highly developed in our faith? I believe we'll find out. But I want to show you some other scriptures as we go along. Go over to Philippians chapter 1. I want to show you what caused Jesus to be so successful. Sometimes I think we approach faith from a positive standpoint and forget that, the, that bringing out the, the negative could accentuate the positive. If fear is the reciprocating force of faith, then understanding fear, where it comes from, how to deal with it, what God expects of us concerning fear will help our faith. Here in the first chapter of Philippians, verse 28, I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Bible. Something that is in harmony, perfect harmony with what Jesus taught and what God expects of us. And that is we need not be fearful nor, fearful nor intimidated by Satan, by man, or by circumstances. And the thing we need to be fearful of is God. Sometimes I think Christians have their fears misplaced and channeled in the wrong direction. If we had an awesome reverential fear for God, the other things around us would be nothing. People fear the devil, and the devil's nobody to fear. People fear man, and man's nobody to fear. Matter of fact, Jesus said all man can do is kill your body. All the devil can do is just destroy your body. Isn't that right? That's all you can do is, is take away your physical life. That's about all he can do to you. That's why we should be so fearless. Because when your body is removed, when you're removed from the body, you're in the presence of the Lord. You haven't lost anything. That's why we could be fearless people. But look at this scripture. Verse 28. This is the secret to great faith. And do not... I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible, so you follow me in your King James. And do not for a moment... I, I like this translation from the Amplified Bible because it gives you these little nuggets of truth. For a moment, Jesus wasn't for a moment intimidated by that storm. You ever hear the saying that says, he who hesitates is lost? Jesus wasn't hesitant. He was not intimidated at all by the storm. Don't for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof and seal, to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. Don't be fearful 
or intimidated at all. Not even for the slightest moment at your adversary, the devil, at circumstances, and any of your opponents, and that could include man. Because when you stand fearless and constant without moving, it's a token or an omen or a sign to them of their impending doom and destruction. But to you, it is a surety, a sure sign of your deliverance and salvation by the hand of God. And when Jesus woke up from that sleep and saw the circumstances and saw the contrary wind and etc., etc., he wasn't shaken or moved or intimidated or fearful for one moment because he knew whom he served. And immediately spoke and said, Peace be still. That's all faith is. Faith is fearlessness. That's what it is. So we're not to be intimidated by the devil. We're not to be full of dread or fear because of our adversary. As a matter of fact, I said it time and time again, we should consider the adversary and all that he represents, fear, doubt, worry, confusion, sickness and disease, poverty, all that he represents, calamity, everything that he represents, we should consider it to be beneath our feet, beneath us. I shouldn't even consider that it could happen to me. That's how my thinking should be. And if the devil ever attempted to do anything like that concerning my life or my family's, we shouldn't be fearful of it. We should never even think about it. We shouldn't even entertain the thought of fear concerning it. Because what in the world can the devil do to you? Matter of fact, let's look at another scripture over there in Hebrews chapter 13. Chapter 13. The latter part of verse 5 and 6. In the latter part of verse 5, in the King James, it says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly, not timidly, but boldly, fearlessly, confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Say that with me. I will not fear. The devil nor man. See, it says right here, I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. Say it with me again. I will not fear my adversaries. The devil, my opponents, man. I will not fear. What can they do to me? God is my helper. He's on my side. Why should I fear? How can I fear? See? Now you think about that. It'll build faith. Faith cometh by hearing the word. That means when I hear the word that I need not fear, I'll have faith. I need not fear. If they were told by God not to fear when they're about to drown, I was never out on a sea in a storm. I don't know, maybe some of you were. I'm sure that it would be frightening if you were to look at the circumstances. I'm sure that when Peter was told by a spirit who he saw walking upon the water and the highways, and that spirit said, Come. Did you ever try to step out of a boat into the midst of the sea? I want you to vividly see, the, clearly see the things that they did. No wonder some people think they're fairy tales. No wonder some people think that this isn't so. It can't be. It contradicts human reasoning and thinking. 
But here this man steps out of the boat onto the sea and begins to walk upon the water. And he wasn't to fear. I don't, I'll tell you what, I really can't say that I blame old Peter for getting a little bit anxious and looking at the waves and the wind out there on the sea. Do you? If you think about it. But of course, Jesus did. He said, you shouldn't have done it. I was right here with you and I told you to come. You should have come. Why are you so doubtful? How come, how come you don't have any faith? Oh, you little faith, he said. If God demands faith of us, and this is what faith is all about, think about where we're at in our faith life. Think about, think about how powerful God expects us to be. Think how he expects us to react in adverse circumstances. Don't for a moment be intimidated by the circumstance. Don't for a moment be intimidated by the devil. That reminds me of Smith Wigglesworth. When he was lying in bed, sleeping one night like, you know, like we're supposed to be doing. And just leans over, turns over, I guess something, you know, he, he woke up, something, uh, whatever, startled him or whatever. And he just happens to look up and looks at the end, the foot of the bed, and he sees the devil standing there. Ugliest looking thing you ever saw, standing at the foot of his bed. And he goes, oh, it's just you. And just turned back over and went back to sleep. <laughs> Didn't even rebuke him. Said, oh, it's just you. Turned back over, went back to sleep. That's how we should consider the devil, just you. You know, you start to get so high in faith that when sickness starts to come at your door, say, who in the world are you? We can grow in this thing called faith. We can grow so strong in faith that our fears diminish. And that, that force called fear that supposedly is to disease our human spirit will vanish away. You won't have anything to fear. You won't have any fears. They'll diminish. And bless God, you'll be walking by faith. And the things that you once reacted in the way of fear, you now react in a way of faith. It'll be natural for you to just say, in Jesus' name, peace, be still. And the calm will come. You know when that happens? Now go back to Mark 4 and I'll show you how a turn of events took, about, took place in the lives of the apostles, the disciples, to build within them strong faith. I never saw it in this light before, but you'll see it now. That word fear, when Jesus said, why are you so fearful, means dread or faithless. It's amazing the way Jesus used that word. It's fearful, but it means dread or faithless. But over here in the 41st verse of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, there... Fear began to be channeled in another direction. Another direction. Okay? Look at verse, well, 40 again. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? But in verse 41 it says, And they feared exceedingly. Now that word feared is not the same fear. Dread. Faithless. Here we see uh, the same word fear, it's translated feared, but it has a different meaning. But notice how they began to channel their fear in another direction. And they feared exceedingly. What did they fear exceedingly? The wind? The storm? The waves? Drowning? No. And they said one to another, what manner of man is this? They began to fear God. Look it. That even the wind and the sea obeyed him. They began to find out that there was a power that was far greater than the power of the wind 
and the waves and the sea and the storms of life, and they began to fear that power. They had an awesome respect and fear for the Son of the living God. Not the devil, not the circumstances, not the sea, not man, but they looked at this God-man and they said, We exceedingly The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the principal part of wisdom. When a person begins to fear the Lord, you know what wisdom is? The ability to use knowledge. Now you ready? Then they have entered into a realm where they have ability to use the knowledge of their faith. See, faith in God means you fear God more than you fear circumstances or man or sickness or disease. Or anything around you. I fear God more than I fear all that other stuff. That's why Jesus said, don't fear him that can just kill your body. He's not telling us to fear the devil over there. He's telling us to fear God. You know, judgment could come and God have the the power actually to, to judge and sentence a man to hell. That's right. Satan's already been judged and condemned to hell, has he not? Judgment is in the hands of the Almighty. So fear Him. Don't fear the devil. All he can do is just kill your body. Don't fear a man. Fear a man. What can he do but kill your body? Don't fear circumstances. What can they do? The worst thing they can do is just kill your body. I think the worst that anything any of those things can do is kill your body. But fear the Lord. Judgment hand is in the hand of the Lord. It lies in His hands. So fear the Lord. And so now when they begin to channel their fear in a proper direction, they begin to have faith. You see, they got their eyes off the circumstances and they got their eyes off the ability of the devil and they began to get their eyes on this awesome ability and power of God. And it caused a reaction in their spirit. A reaction. That when they began to see, well, of course, as time went on, when they began to walk out and step out in this thing called faith, they began to react differently in the presence of their enemies. Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times before he got born again. But once he got born again and got a hold of this thing called fear, he didn't fear man or what they would do to him. Why should I fear? All they can do is kill my body. I got this awesome fear of God inside me and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in his hands. I'll fear the Lord. I won't fear you any longer. See, that's what he did when he preached that on the day of Pentecost. He stepped out in bold faith. He didn't fear man. But you can see that change began to take place in their hearts when they began to have an awesome reverential fear for God and their fear for the devil and circumstances began to wane. That's, that should happen in the life of every believer. Now let's go on. I want to share with you another scripture in Psalm 27.1. Now, if I am not going to fear, I have to have a reason Because if all I have is circumstances around me that dictate to me fear, whether they be headed up by the devil or circumstances or whatever, or by man, and I don't have a word from God that tells me I need not fear, then I have no means whereby to develop my faith in God, and I don't have a foundation to stand upon, because as far as I'm concerned, fear is all around us. And if you don't protect your heart, you're going to fear. They had every right to fear 
out there on that sea, as far as I'm concerned. The only reason they had not to fear was the very fact that the Lord Jesus was on the boat. So without him being there, they had a reason to fear. In order to develop faith, we've got to have word from God that tells us why we need not fear. We've got to have some input, some information to feed into our human spirit so we can develop faith in him and destroy our fears. In Psalm 27:1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If I need not be afraid of man, if I need not be afraid of the devil, if I need not fear circumstances, well, then whom shall I fear? And that's why we got this other meaning of the word fear. That word in, in verse 41 of Mark 4 is the word phobio, and it's P-H-O-B-E-O in the Greek, translated. I'm going to give you the definition. I, I don't suggest you even try to write it down because it's too long. But I'll just read it to you. I wrote it down here so I can read it to you. To show you how the disciples begin to channel this thing called fear in another direction. And it becomes a holy fear, a reverential fear. Here's the definition. A controlling motive of the life in matters spiritual and moral. Not a mere fear of his power and righteous retribution, but a wholesome dread of displeasing him. A fear that banishes the terror that shrinks from his presence and influences the disposition and attitude of one whose circumstances are guided by trust in God through the indwelling spirit. A fear that inspires a constant carefulness in dealing with others. It's not that force of fear that's coming from the devil. It's a reverential fear. It's more or less a built-in thing in the human spirit that causes us to react in fear towards God, not in fear towards circumstances. I'm going to share some examples with you to, to show you what I'm talking about in a clear way. You teach your children to respect certain things, like the oven's hot. Don't touch it. You can be burned. Well, if they listen to you, praise God. Some don't. And so what they do is they go out and touch the stove. And, of course, the tip of their finger gets a little bit burned. Well, the next time they come around that oven and it's hot, you don't have to say two words to them about touching that oven. There is a built-in reactor. And really, it's a respect. It's a reverential fear of fire or of flame of being hot. They're not afraid of it. They just respect it. And so, instead of touching it, See, it says a controlling motive of the life in matters spiritual and moral. Well, this is a physical thing. They don't touch it because they respect the heat. They respect it. It's like a built-in resistor. Okay, another example. I was, uh, well, I'll share this with you. Because I think it's, well, it's not really funny, but it's, it's amazing that I, I was talking about this right before it happened. Remember when I was talking about faith? That we have faith that faith in signs, faith in man, faith in in uh, when we drive and that sort of thing. And I said that it's like a truck driver driving down the street, 55 mile an hour, and he goes right through the underpass, and there's a bridge up ahead, and it says 13 feet six inches, and it, he knows he can go right under there. 
Well, Brother Chuck was telling me just, just last night, he said that uh, the next day, a trucker read the sign where it said 13 feet, 6 and evidently it wasn't that high or whatever it was, and he went right through and took the top of his truck off. But he had faith in the sign. Look at how we can have a built-in faith in something. We can, we can program ourselves to, to have faith in certain things that really, they can't be trustworthy. This is trust in, in the indwelling Spirit of God in my circumstances. This is not trust in what some man has said. Well, I shared with him that we were driving through East Palestine, where they had the, the railroad uh, tracks. And, of course, trains go back and forth. And we have taught, our, we've taught ourselves to believe in man's mechanisms and inventions. And so we begin to believe that whenever those arms come down, there's a train coming. So we stop and we obey. We have a faith, a type of faith built in us and taught to our spirits in these certain things. And so consequently, we all stopped. I stopped on my side and the fellow stopped on the other side. We're both on either side, waiting for the train to go by, and the train comes by, and it's gone. Well, we've also been taught that when the train goes, and the arms go up, you can go. Right? And so, by faith, we just go right across the tracks. Well, I don't, I don't know, it must have been the Spirit of God. I was the first car on this side, and he was the first car on that side. And from, for some reason, I just stood there. And I didn't just go when the arms went up. And he must have been a little bit anxious because before the arms made it all the way up, you know, he was already going across the tracks. Well, we have faith in these things, don't we? I want to show you how you can lose faith in a lot of things. You can lose faith in the integrity of man, I'll tell you, in his inventions. You can lose faith in, even in the medical science field if you start getting faith in God. Now listen, this car comes across the railroad tracks because he believed that those arms were going up. And there were no trains coming because the train has already passed. Well, it was, it's ev evidently another train was coming from the other direction on another track. There's about four tracks on another track. And it just so happened that the timing was so perfect that when these arms started to go up because the train left, this train had already come past, you know, to trigger the reactor. And it came past and it was already coming towards the crossroads. And this guy just got across the railroad tracks when this thing come whizzing along. And I just looked, and his, his face was white as white could be. And he stopped his car right on the other side of the thing and just looked like that. I could just see his, just white. And he didn't know what to do. Because, you see, he had faith in man's inventions. And if you think about it, that was faith in something that he did not see. He didn't, well, he didn't actually, see, you know, he, see. If you think about it, you're having faith in, in the unseen. You believe that that thing's supposed to work. You don't see it work, but you believe it's supposed to work. If he had just trusted his five physical senses and stopped right there and didn't believe in that, he could have looked over there and, and saw a train was coming. But now, note, note this is two things. I'm, now, don't, I don't want to hear no reports about anybody getting hit at a railroad crossing. In Jesus' name, we take authority over that. But here we see that people have faith in signs. Here we see people have faith in reactors made by man that's supposed to trigger off these arms to let you know when a train is coming or when it's passed. And we develop a, a, a high type of faith in that that you don't even look. 
Think about it. The guy didn't even look. Just went right across there. He trusted his life with that mechanism. And his whole family could have been dead if it was about ten seconds. Ten seconds earlier, his whole family would have been wiped out by that train. If we can develop such a high type of faith in these kind of things, why can we not develop a higher type of faith in the God who never fails? The God who says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you in trouble. I will deliver you. No matter what circumstance might be. No matter what the devil does. No matter what the diseases are around you. No matter what anything comes your way. He says, I will be by your side. I will be with you. And his word cannot fail like that mechanism. His word cannot fail. He cannot fail like that sign failed. If God said it's 13 feet 6 inches, you best believe it is. If God tells you a train's not coming, and I'll be honest with you, I had a built-in reactor myself. I thank God for that built-in reactor that I possessed. To just sit there. Because that's not a normal thing to just sit you, By the time you're done waiting for that train to go by, you want to get across the thing. You see what I'm saying? Now I'm just going to just touch this. You do it with it as you please. People have developed such a high type of faith in something like medical science, and really it's not all that efficient, friends. I was thinking about this, this family that they prosecuted, whatever, for not taking their children to the, to the medical field. I, you know, I'm not saying one way or another. I just want you to listen to what I have to say. I thought about it. You, if you should have thought about this too, put yourself in that person's position. Put yourself on that court. What would you have said to that court? I'd have stated my case like this. I can show you time and time again that if a brain surgeon operated on that person's brain and said there was a 50% chance of that person surviving and they died, that they didn't prosecute the surgeon. I can show you time and time again. I know a friend of mine who went into a his father went to the hospital to have a hernia operation, a simple operation. He went in there. He died at the hands of the people. It was not his fault. It was their fault. The operation was fine, but they did not watch his sugar cotton. Whatever they did, they did it wrong, and it was they killed the man. They did it, but not one of them was prosecuted. Not one of them was prosecuted. And time and time again, I can tell you another story. Someone else went in for a simple operation and came out paralyzed on their one side because they, with their knife, cut a nerve and they're paralyzed now. Can't use their arm. But not one was prosecuted. But here we have a family who says, how can I have faith in that? Now you think about it. I don't know. You, you have your own faith. You live your own life where you're at. But when I find out someone's going to let a, a man go in there and cut their heart open, I'll tell you what. I can't say I have a whole lot of faith in that. At least in the man. I don't. Maybe you do. I don't. I don't. And I'm being bold. I'm being blunt. And if I asked you all to stand up, how many more testimonies have you heard where, where people have done, have heard that they went into a hospital and came out sicker? Or even paralyzed. Or blind. Because of a, a wrong cut. A wrong move. Now, if these people said, look, no matter what the chances are, and I don't care what the chances are, simple operation, they said the guy would have been fine. What if the kid would have died anyhow? Would they have persecuted the doctor? Put him on trial? All they took was the word of the, of the surgeon that says it probably would have been that he would have been all right. Well, they told this friend of mine, his father, he was a young man. Simplest operation for us to perform. You'll be out in and out in no time. He had a wonderful business, a prosperous business. 
Made a lot of money in a wonderful family. They killed him. I was never so devastated. Closest from one of my closest friends at the time when I was in school. I couldn't believe it because my dad just had the same operation and it was, he came out with flying colors. But this guy went in and died. I'll tell you what, I began to lose faith in that field. And so to persecute somebody for at least standing upon, a God, upon God's word, I'd have to say I'd think twice about it. That's how I'd have state, stated my case right there. I'd have said, look, I have a right to believe. And I cannot say with you and agree with you that they had to come out of that operation perfectly fine because they may have died under that operation, uh, under that knife. Or came out paralyzed or crippled or lame or whatever. And you've heard it happen and I know that it happens. So for a person to start to develop his faith in this area of, 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 of healing, I say, praise God, I'm behind you 100%. I'm standing with you. And I'll give everything I know about it I'm going to give to you and, and I'm going to learn more as I, much as I can, more and more and more, because I believe that God is 100% all the time. And I'm learning that way. That's not saying that ever, if you ever needed something, that you can't, you know, do that. I'm not saying that. You've got to use faith no matter which, how, how you do it. But I'm just saying that, look it. We have so much faith in what man does, and man is not all that efficient, is he? This guy had faith and he lost his truck. This guy had faith and almost lost his lives, his, the lives of his family. They had faith in the storm and almost perished. But Jesus had some kind of faith in God. And said, peace be still. That's what we're developing, friends. This kind of faith. Now, he said here, you need not fear. I'm the strength of your life. You need not fear because I am on your side. Now, are you ready? Go with me to Isaiah 43. When you start to develop faith in God's ability, not man's, did not Paul say, I came preaching to you this gospel in demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of the living God? Did he not say that? All right. What has this God promised? What has this God said concerning our fears that I need not fear any longer? Fear is a natural thing. I'm going to fear unless I have something to tell me I need not fear. You need not fear a train coming because the arm went up. Look out, friend. You should have feared. You need not fear that you're going to hit that bridge because the sign says so. Sorry, friend. It was only fooling. You see what I'm saying? But when God says you need not fear because I am with you, you can say hallelujah. Glory be to God. And when you know it inside your heart. Now, here's what it says, Isaiah 43. I said all that to say this, and I'm rejoicing right now to say it. But now thus saith the Lord. Who says it? Lord. Thus saith Jehovah. Thus saith El Shaddai. Thus saith Jehovah Jireh. Thus saith Jehovah Nissi. Sidkenu. Shammah, the Lord that's ever present. Rapha, the Lord your healer. Jehovah Ruah, the Lord your shepherd. Thus saith the Almighty God. Here's what he's saying. That created you. Not that's trying to figure you out. Not that's trying to figure out your mind. Oh, Jacob, and he that formed thee. Oh, Israel. Who's saying it? The God of all glory. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God that raised Jesus from the dead. The God that parted the Red Sea. 
the God that shot down flames of fire out of heaven and burned up the sacrifice and the men that came out to destroy the life of Elijah the prophet. This same God that defeated the devil in hell and shook from him all his authority and said, I'm giving you power over all the power of the enemy. This God is saying this unto you. This is not a sign that a man built. It's not a railroad crossing arm that man designed. This is the Almighty God speaking unto you and unto me. And what does he say? Fear not. Hallelujah. Fear not. Now I know why I don't have to fear. And he gives you three reasons, three main reasons why you need not fear. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. Now to the average person, when they came to a railroad crossing, even Christian, you know what they'd say? Oh, we need not fear because the arm's up. But friends, when you come to a railroad crossing or anywhere in your life where there's danger, you need not fear because that word redeems means that God, Jehovah, who created you and formed you, he bought you back with his own blood. You belong to Jehovah. That's why you need not fear. You can destroy. You are the purchased possession of God. That's why you need not fear. Not because the arm's up. Not because the sign says so. But because he purchased you in his own blood. And what does that mean to me? That means to me that if God didn't have any liking for me, if God was not concerned about my life, if God didn't, didn't care what I did in this life, He would not have purchased me. He would not have redeemed me. It costs a lot of money to make those inventions. It costs a lot of money to put up those signs. It costs a lot of money for new innovations in the medical field, and so on and so forth. But bless God, not all the money's put together out of every resource that we could imagine. All the money's put together could never cost what it costs and pay for what it costs the Father to send His only beloved Son to this earth to redeem me and to purchase me with His own blood. Amen? That means I'm worth something. I am the pearl of great price. The church is the pearl of great price. People think it was Jesus. The church is the, purchase, the pearl of great price. Jesus came. He was the man that was seeking the pearl of great price. He sought it. So all that he had, that was Jesus, and bought it. That's you and me. Hallelujah. I am the purchased possession of God, and that God says, fear not, I've bought you back. From the devil, from the hand of man, from the hand of circumstances, the adversary, your opponents, I have purchased you back. You belong unto me. That's a reason why you need not fear. A second reason why you need not to fear is I have called you by my name. That means I have made you my blood covenant partner. That means I have taken up my name and put it in you. I have taken your name and put it inside me. And I have a new name for you. We are one. That's the closest you can get is to take on someone else's name. Well, when we have the bond of marriage and matrimony, what do we do? We join two together and the two shall be one and they take on each other's name. Hallelujah. You need not fear because the name of God is in you. Because the name of God is in me. And he knows my name and I know his name. And he says, because you have known my name, I will lift you on high above the railroad cars. Amen. That's why I need not fear, friends. I will lift you up because you know my name and my name is in you. We can go on that name forever. His name, through faith in his name, have, through faith in his name. See, fear the name of the Lord God. Don't fear the devil. Fear the name of the Lord God. Don't fear the railroad cars. 
Don't fear the winds and the sea and the circumstances of life. That God said we need not fear those things because he calls us by his name. And thirdly, are you ready? It's so personal. It's so beautiful. So masterful to listen to these words come from the... Who's saying this? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith your Father. And what does he say? Thou art mine. <laughs> Thou art mine. I need not fear. You've got children. You look around the hall like we did last night. And I look and I say, that one's mine. Then when you're looking for Jason, you've got to look all around. Because he's always taking off. Thou art mine. And although my lease is out of town, thou art mine. And there's just something about your own. You love everybody and everybody's children. But isn't there something about your own? Isn't there something special about your own? And the Father looks down out of glory and says, thou art mine. How personal. How beautiful. Something to think about. Fear not. I am with thee. You are mine. I've called you by my name. I have purchased you with my own blood. Look at the degrees. I've purchased you. That would be enough, friends. But I call you by my name. You've entered the family. And now he says, you belong to me. You're mine. And he goes on to share with us. Look at the next verse. When you passest through the waters, I will be with thee. I will be with you. What would it mean to have this God with us when we pass through the waters? Ask Moses when he came to the Red Sea and stood there before the sea. You talk about circumstances all around him. You talk about men. What would I fear that men? All behind him. What would I fear that man should do to me? All they want to do is rip his head off. And they were coming fast behind him. And the adversary, he is to give the whole thing. Mountains on either side of them, a river, a, a sea before them. And he says to them in a circumstance like that, fear not. And if you stop and think about it, he redeemed them from Egypt. He called them by his name and says, you're mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with thee. And when Moses began to get a little bit fearful... And the children of Israel began to get fearful and start to complain. Jesus, I say Jesus, but God spoke to him out of glory. Just like Jesus spoke to Jairus when they came with words of fear, your daughter is dead. Jesus said, fear not. Shut his mouth up right away. Fear not, only believe. And God spoke out of glory to Moses and said, use the rod. I am with you. And when thou passest through the waters, you can't get in circumstances that are worse than that. This army is ready to destroy you, to kill you. They're ready to wipe you off the face of the earth. You can't go to the left nor to the right for the mountains. And you can't go before it because you're going to die in the sea. But this God says, fear not, I have redeemed thee, call him by my name. Thou art mine, I'll be with you through the waters. And they walk across the sea on dry land. That's what it means. You talk about having faith. I never saw a mechanism that says the water's up. 
Did you ever see one like that? Never did. God has some built-in goodies himself, doesn't he? He knows how to do it. Hallelujah. Think about that. Why do we got so much faith in all this mechanism business, all this innovation business? All it's doing is having people, making people have less faith in God. See? Well, then he goes on to say, And when you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. Sounds like what Jesus was talking about when he said, The storm beats vehemently against the house. Storm, wind, rain, blue, vehemently against the house. Reminds you of a flood, doesn't it? When the floods came, the Spirit of the Lord would rise up a standard against them. Now, I don't know what you believe, but I'll tell you something right now. You know, storms can come. Storms can, the devil can come and bring storms to your life. Jesus said so. And if those storms come to your life, you have a guarantee you need not fear. I don't care if the waters get all the way up to neck, chin level. Your God that said, fear not, says they won't overflow you. You talk about an unmovable faith, unshakable faith, unwavering faith. How high is the water, honey? Only belly level. But it's still raining, still pouring. How high is it now? Shoulder level. What are you going to do? Nothing. Why not? God said, fear not. How's it now? Chin level. What are you going to do now, honey? Nothing. Why? God said it won't overflow me. I'm not moving. I refuse to be intimidated and fearful at the hands of my opponent. Bless God, because the Lord God said to me that when I stand fearless before my adversary, it's a sure omen of his impending defeat and failure, destruction and doom. And to me, it's victory at the hand of the Almighty God. Hallelujah. So I'm just standing. Chin level, but I'm just standing right here, not moving. What else does it say over there in that chapter? Well, let's look on and see. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither now this is silly, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Well, can this be true? I don't know about you, but I heard of three Hebrew children in the fire furnace. You talk about don't have any fear. You talk about three men standing there before the hottest flaming fire you ever saw. It burned up all the people that was ready to, all the, uh, the, the army to try to get them in there. The soldiers that were taking them in to, to throw them in to be burnt in the fire furnace. There they were, getting burned alive right there outside the furnace. But notice he said, when thou walkest through the fire. You could walk through the fire of temptation. You could walk through fiery trials. Don't be upset when fiery trials uh, come your way. Don't be concerned about it. Just hold on and start to say that, bless God, I need not fear. I don't care what it looks like, what it feels like. I can walk through the midst of the fire. And we're talking about spiritual fire. You and I, we're talking about spiritual, you know, fiery trials and temptations. And people get upset about it and get fearful of it. His three Hebrew children, they're talking about physical fire. You think about that. Think about it. There they are standing before that fire furnace, and they're, they're going to walk right through that. They're going to walk in the midst of the fire. This God says, fear not, even if you're standing at the gate of the fire, the furnace. I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by my name. Thou art mine. And if you'll walk in that fire, knowing this, without fear. Without fear. You know what he says? 
thou shalt not be burned, and neither will the flame kindle upon thee. You read Daniel chapter 3, and it says, Neither did the fire kindle upon their person, neither was smoke, the smell of smoke, upon their person. They walked out of the burning fire furnace. Why? He said, I will be with thee. Was he with them? You better believe he was, friends. He walked right in the midst of the furnace with them. The king said, I see a fourth man like unto the Son of God inside that fire, inside that furnace. And in the latter part of the chapter, or verse 3 here, the first part of it, For I am the Lord thy God. I am the Lord your God. Now, I don't know if any of us have ever been inside circumstances like this. I don't know if we've ever been confronted with these kind of circumstances. Out in the midst of the sea, ready to go under. Standing before a burning fire furnace, ready to walk in. Standing before the Red Sea, mountains on either side, and an army ready to cut our heads off. But what is the command of God? Fear not. Fear not. We need not fear. And when I know I need not fear, it does something to my faith. We got a couple from this family right here with us. That when the fire hit their home, they were not burned. Because the Lord was with them. Does he mean what he says? You better believe he means what he says. When you abandon yourself to the word of the living God, we need not fear. We need not fear the devil, circumstances, the adversary, nor man. Fear the Lord. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.